electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now and fast, the Fed pauses, but ads don't get used to it. Chair Powell saying more rate hikes are waiting in the wings if inflation doesn't keep dropping. Markets taking the news in stride. So in Jay Powell, we trust or are the markets just not buying what the Fed is selling. Plus, health care headache. The sector crushed today after the CFO of United Health says seniors are now getting all sorts of surgeries that they had delayed because of COVID. How much pain is ahead for these stocks? And later, a charm offensive in China, Beijing bringing its business leaders in to get their advice on how to give the economy a jolt. At the same time, President Xi reportedly set to meet with Bill Gates this weekend. Could these moves put investing in China back on the map? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with the pause heard round the world. Federal Reserve holding its key interest rates steady at its latest policy meeting, but laying the groundwork for rates to climb even higher than expected later this year. The news sent shockwaves through the markets, uh, with the Dow dropping as much as 428 points at its low before paring back those losses. The S&P and Nasdaq did manage to finish the day in the green. Meantime, rates rocketed higher, with the yield in the two-year touching 4.8 percent for the first time since early March. For more on the Fed decision and Chairman Jerome Powell's press conference, let's bring in Steve Leisman who was there. Some further rate hikes. That was the language, Steve, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, that was a little bit stronger than the last mm-hmm. time. Uh, what, what I think you might call this is an expected and welcome pause, Melissa, with an unexpected and unwelcome forecast that it could hike twice more this year. So now for investors, I think it comes down to this simple question. Do you believe the Fed forecast for two rate hikes or don't you? That is are you feeling lucky? Go ahead. Trade against the Fed. Fed Chair Jay Powell, though, made pretty clear the rate-setting open market committee is serious about bringing down inflation. From the SEP, the committee is completely unified in the need to get inflation down to 2%, and will do whatever it takes to get it down to 2% over time. That is our plan. And, uh, you know, we, we understand that allowing inflation to get entrenched into the, in the U.S. economy is the thing that we cannot, cannot allow to happen. Here's the forecast making the news here. Uh, 2023, they raised it by half a point to 5.6, and then 2024, all, and also up a little bit more, the long run remaining unchanged at 2.5%. But the main thing is the conviction. Four members at one hike, nine members or half the committee supporting two hikes, three members supporting three or more hikes. So 66% of the committee at two or more. Despite that conviction, it's worth noting veteran bond investor Jeff Gunlock in the last hour, he said he doesn't believe the Fed. He thinks inflation is going to fall sharply and the economy will slow and the Fed won't hike. The market split decision. Embracing the July hike with a 60% probability about where it was this morning, but no contract is currently trading guys with that second hike built in. Melissa, I'm interested to see if your guys around the table there are buying or selling the Fed here. Well, that's how we open the show. Either the markets are totally, you know, believing Jay Powell, because he also sort of opened the door to a, a soft landing, a scenario in which, you know, we don't have to see, you know, super slow growth or, or very high inflation. Either they believe Jay Powell and, and trust him, or they just simply don't believe him at all. Um, my money right now is on on the latter as opposed to the firm, former. What do you, I mean? Well, what, I, I think it's worth, I think it's worth, 
remarking mm-hmm. here that the market came to the Fed, Melissa, right? The market had these cuts built in. Those sure. cuts are out. The Fed mm-hmm. was right about, it was wrong about inflation to start with, and it became more right when inflation stuck around and the idea of the Fed needing to stay high. That was right for a while here. So maybe we're in the rubber match of the Fed versus the market here. And I think at the end of the day, uh, uh, the, these numbers are going to come down. Jeff Gunlock's either going to be right, and we are going to get some lower prints that will remain low and give the Fed that convincing evidence they need, or they won't. And, and in that case, the Fed is not going to hike. So it doesn't really boil down to being right or wrong. It's whether or not your forecast for inflation is right or wrong, I think. Where do you stand, Tim? Well, if Steve referenced Dirty Harry, which is what I think he did when he started out, um, there's, there's, I think there's another uh, uh, something else in the chamber. Let's just say that. I don't want to get too graphic on, on cable TV here. And, and I think it, I believe him. I believe the Fed. But I also believe that we don't know where we're going to be in two or three months. I believe everything they're saying. Everyone's saying the market doesn't trust the Fed. I think the market believes that the Fed really can't go uh, much past where they are. And what's 25 basis points? amongst friends, and I'm sure uh, Clint Eastwood would have said it just like that. Yeah, guys. It's remarkable. If you, again, we play this game a lot. If you all had told time. me all the time, if you had said they're going to say they're going to pause, but to say maybe two rate hikes this said year. sell off. So the market's S&P's down 80 handles. Absolutely. And at one point it was down, what, 40-something handles? I don't know what happened late in the day to get back to unchanged, but I'll say this as well. Two tens went out to about 94 basis points yeah. like that. Now, it's fascinating. If you listen to Michael Schumacher yesterday, Steve, I don't know if you heard this. He said from 159 to 226. The cha-cha-cha. Maybe and that's, whatever, ex- that's exactly right. Whatever move happens in the bond market. He was, and, he was, and, and the stock market as well is exactly right. So, Steve, I'm with you. I think I believe what the Fed is saying. I believe their earnestness. The market's clearly not buying it, though. Is, is Steve, are, are you going to – I could ask Steve a question because I still see can. his box right he's, there. He's still here. Steve, why are we talking about 2%? I, I know 2% was untouchable when there was no sign of inflation. Shouldn't it be 3%? Is the door open to that? Why is 2% the number? Why shouldn't it be 3%, 4%? I mean, it's a good question, but it's 2% because it's the, it's, the, it's the level that they promised. It's the goal that, and the target that they had. And the fear is that if they change that rate, that it, their credibility will just go, go, go to hell. They, they, there could be a discussion about changing it if they hit the 2% target and then say, you know what? 2% is too tight. We want to go to 25 or 3 But I don't think they're going to change it till they get to that rate. And there's I think a decent argument to be made for 2%, which is that it's not one and it's not three, that three is something is a level that businesses start to talk more seriously about the impact of inflation on their businesses. But just one thing for Tim uh, on this issue of whether or not to believe the Fed. Uh, right now, that probability is 60%. But, you know, I would think you could take it meeting by meeting. And one idea that's out there is that forget this data dependence, forget everything else Powell said today. All he really wanted to communicate is that they want to hike every other meeting like we did in 2019, and that's what they're about to do. You know, it's interesting. Steve mentioned um, Jeffrey Gunlock's response um, immediately, and so he doesn't think they're going to hike again. But he also actually takes issue, I think, with like, the indication of what the economy is doing. And right. you heard that. And, and it's interesting. You know, we talked about it last night. Um, you know, look at how small caps traded today. So look at the Russell 2000. Look at how energy traded today. Look at how financials t- uh, traded today. They didn't trade particularly well. All three of those sectors, okay, um, are down considerably from their 2021 highs or their all-time highs, maybe 
made in the last, let's call it 18 months or something like that. So it's kind of interesting because, again, Guy said, I don't want the heck happen into the end. You saw the, the, the move the NASDAQ 100 made. I mean, like NVIDIA rallied 6%. We're at all-time highs on semiconductors. I, I mean, so like, let's be like, clear about where the market is. No, I mean, it's definitely it's but, 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 again, it's the same stuff, like leading the charge in a way. It remains just the safety like, trade, though. And the reason why the Russell can't perform is that he didn't take July off the table, which yeah. means it's going to be tougher for those small companies to survive. In a but the more market. this happens, it's just the more danger that presents. You know, and we used to think, and Steve said something like the market is coming the way of the Fed or something like that. The market is really, the stock market is really working against the Fed right now because the, a bubble is inflating. And, and by raising rates, you're trying to avert that. You're trying to avert a housing bubble, right, by doing this. Uh, but but there's no cares. So the, the nature of investors and the risk that they're willing to take, that should be concerning to people. And I think that's probably what concerns Gunlock a little bit. Steve, do you think that irks the Fed? I think it does. I think there's a really interesting dynamic right now, which is that the market is coming to believe that this AI thing is, is for real. And it has dramatic uh, implications for both company earnings and for the economy. The Fed can't really factor that in unless at some point in time it starts to make a decision that this is a real productivity enhancer and a reason to lay back in terms of, uh, of rates, but it can't really do that. And that's what I think is really motivating the market right here. And I agree with what Dan is saying, that for at least at the initial phase of this, it is working against the Fed. When I, when I say the market has come to the Fed, I actually mean the pricing in the funds market, not, not necessarily the stock market. All right, um, Steve, thanks so much. It's always great Pleasure. to uh, get your analysis on, on a day like today. Steve Leisman, senior economics reporter. Um, the AI, I sense some skepticism in Steve Leesman's voice when he was talking about the AI uh, bubble. But if you are a believer in the spending cycle, this spending cycle will defy what is happening in the economy. And maybe that's why we're seeing NVIDIA do well today, for instance. Well, I, I, I'm not ready to make a call on the spending cycle. I'm ready to make a call on NVIDIA, um, showed how far out in front they were. But making and, and, a call on the spending cycle, to get to Steve Leeson's point, sorry to interrupt. No, no. Making a call on the spending cycle, though, is is actually admitting that AI will have an impact in terms of productivity and so therefore has to be a factor in the Fed's forecast, right? Okay, well, and that's fine, but on a day when semiconductors got to all-time highs effectively, we're within, like, you know, a, a rounding error, um, I don't believe you're going to have a tech capex spend that warrants the kind of move that we've seen in a lot of these semis. Um, I do think NVIDIA can go higher, and I think the valuation there is something, um, I think we all have to question what, you know, how we're valuing a company that's growing that fast, um, especially on peg ratios, which don't look expensive. But um, I don't think that, that tech is suddenly going to have to go, at, you know, bananas here in terms of CapEx spend. I think data center is, is starting to get very crowded. I think margins are, are pressurized. I, I just think this is really a function as much about the market itself positioning and sentiment, which have changed. No matter what he said today, mm -hmm. there's only so much the Fed is left to do. Um, and at some point, it's going to. Now, the, the Fed funds have adjusted dramatically. We actually now have 15 or 20 basis points of hikes between now and year end. That used to be 100 basis points of cuts three months ago. So um, I, I just think uh, what the market is doing, and you know, Dan's right, like financials and banks didn't act well today. And if anything, more Fed, more aggressive Fed means more runs on banks, both because deposits get more, they get tastier in Treasury bonds, right. and because regional banks have more credit pressure. But just think about where CapEx went. CapEx was non-existent. Every Everyone thought we were going to be in a recession by now. Everyone thought that earnings were going to collapse. Didn't happen. So if anything, CapEx is going to be ratcheted up in the next couple of months, not taken down because it was not in anyone's model There's whatsoever. There's also an unchanged scenario 
or it doesn't go up or mm-hmm. it doesn't go down. Yeah, no, I think they pulled back. No, it doesn't, but I think co- companies pulled back aggressively because they were a product of the overall market, thinking that the overall market was going to dictate the recession. And, and, and look at how many tech firms fired people, laid people off. But here's the question. If we have a bubble, let's say we have a bubble in AI. You don't believe this whole thing. Can you have a bubble in this area of tech, which is basically levitating the entire markets and be in this rate hike cycle, guy, still? Something's got to give. Go. Yeah. Something's got to give, I right? Agree. So what, Listen, what the technology out? is real. I'm not suggesting the technology is a bubble, but when NVIDIA moves $13 in a half hour at the end of the day, seemingly on the back of nothing, a trillion-dollar valuation, on maybe $40 billion of revenues or stuff, historically, that is unsustainable. Now, even if they had twice the revenues of that, it's still an expensive stock historically on valuation. So something's got to give here. And I think the bubble is starting to be created in a lot of the enthusiasm for these names. All right. For more reaction to all this, let's turn to Tom Michaud, the CEO of KBW, a Stiefel company. Tom, great to have you here on set. Great to be with you. Um, Do you believe that the Fed's going to end up going two more times? I, I think the economy's slowing. Um, and when I look at what happened today, I believe more the statement, more about watch what they do rather than what they say. And I think the dots are going to be the most uh, least reliable of everything that was communicated today. So what I see is that the economy is slowing. Um, so I think we're near the end of this rate increase cycle. And frankly, if we get another 25 basis points or not, I think the outcome in the economy is going to be very similar. So it sounds like you just don't you don't believe what the Fed is saying right now. I, I, I think trying to deliver a new message with these dots is, is not what I'm willing to hang my my hat on from what I see happening in the economy. Okay. I think that banks were already tightening in the fourth quarter of last year. It didn't just start in um, in March. Loan growth had been slowing um, for the banking system. The, the first half of the year is an adjustment to the new interest rate environment. Uh, in the second half of the year, we're going to be talking more about credit quality. And, there, and, and then the other thing is, whether it's technically a recession or not, I think it's going to feel the same way, because even like what you all were just talking about, it's different sector by sector. So if you're in the large corporate commercial real estate business right now, you feel like you're in a recession already. Frankly, investment banking revenues have been in a recession. Residential mortgage origination has been in a recession. So it's almost vertical by vertical. The main reason for the Fed holding off this meeting is to see what the effects of the prior rate hikes will be and how they play out. So what? how do you see the, the long and variable lag effects playing out? What do you see that you think the Fed may, may or may not be missing? Because it seems like you're seeing the impacts right now in a much deeper sense than what the Fed has portrayed during the press conference. Yes, I, I, I think you ha- there is a delayed uh, impact. And I'll also say 25 basis points at 5% is very different at 25 basis points off 50 basis points, for example. So this is getting to be the real deal at the moment because of the level of rates. And so I think the bite of these higher rates is gaining traction almost every day. Um, Even if you look, you know, there's a lot of talk about how home sales are down in America. Part of the reason why I think that is is because America loves their mortgage. They don't want to get a new mortgage. I've never seen America love their mortgage like they do right now. Because when you buy a new home, you have to think about financing it at current rates. And that's a good incentive to stay in your current home. So these are having an impact slowly. And I I think the latest data on inflation is showing that disinflation is here. Um, And and at least in our area of expertise in financials, uh, we see it in the fundamentals. 
So, so Tom, if, if rates stay higher for longer and you talked about banks and you talked about people, you know, that essentially have to finance mortgages, how about banks that have to finance deposits? And if we had bank failures over the last three months, um, rates staying higher and possibly moving up a little bit higher. I mean, this is the part I can't reconcile. And you're talking about credit. Um, you've been through these cycles before. Yeah. Uh, this might be the, the, the most foreboding of all storm clouds, no? So, so I think there are two pieces to this conversation. One is I think there are elements of like the global financial crisis that are in bank stocks right now. And I think the rally that we've seen since early May is a relief rally that that's not happening. Right. Um, The other part is the earnings estimates haven't settled. They haven't stopped going down. So before the first quarter, we cut bank estimates by 11 percent. After the quarter, we cut them by 4 percent. My instincts are we're going to cut them again. And, and that's why the stocks are trading at six and eight times earnings. It's because we don't really know where the earnings are going to settle in. But my sense is when, when we get close to hitting that point, and if the Fed stops raising rates, that's when we're going to find that out. I think that's going to be an important signal for investors. Do we not see the floor in bank stocks until the Fed uh, stops cutting or, or until we solve? I know that you've been, you know, you've testified on the Hill about reforming deposit insurance, is that another key aspect of stabilizing the sector for good? Yeah, so, what, so what I think is, I think there is more relief rally in these stocks. You know, I look at U.S. Bank Corp, which is one of the trophies of the banking industry. Trades at six times earnings, 6% dividend yield. We've trimmed estimates and we still think they're going to earn 20 on tangible common equity next year. Uh, that is an inexpensive stock that's a trophy that's on sale. Stock may not do much in the near term, but we think in the next couple of years, you'll, you'll be happy if you bought it. So that's the relief rally. The overall industry rally for all participants probably doesn't happen until we get some more stability in what we think the earnings are going to be. Tom, thank you for stopping by. We appreciate your time. Tom Great to be with you. Of KBW. Thank well, you. Well, you've liked the USB for a long time. Yeah, and it hasn't traded particularly no. well, but Tom's pretty thoughtful in this. And, you know, Tim mentioned this a week or so ago that these regional banks are probably in lack of in the absence of bad news. They'll continue to rally, get to some level that sort of makes sense. But the bad news is coming. So you got to game it out. You know, you want to play that game of chicken and continue to buy these stocks, which has been working. Or at some point, the next shoe drops. That's been the move into Russell. The move into Russell is not predicated on the economy getting better. The move into Russell, to a large extent, is predicated on people playing catch up with regional banks. Yeah, I actually think, you know, the XLF, if you look at the large banks, too, I think some of the stuff that Tim was saying about just rates higher for longer and and everything that Tom just said about the recessionary aspects of these businesses. I just think that, again, they're always cheap. They're going to remain cheap, but it's not going to be a great back half of the year for them. Actually, one of the things I did today um, after when I was digesting what the Fed was saying and everything like that, and, and again, there were no big surprises there other than the fact that rate cuts are off the table for 2023 and now further hikes are on the table here. I think you could sell the XLF and I I don't think it's one of those ones that you're going to get too hurt in. There's no surprises in my opinion for the large U.S. money center banks in the next few months. I think the takeaway real quick is we went from a trading range of 3,800 to 4,200. That was pretty much kryptonite at that wall. And now I think we're in a higher trading range, 4,000 to 4,350-ish, give or take. Obviously, we're above it now. But I think to Dan's point where he started the show, people are still looking for safety in those large cap tech names. Until that starts to deflate a little bit, the market's going to hang right here. And I do think we should have a little bit of a reset in the overall market. You know, the timing for the Fed in terms of two more rate hikes, it doesn't work well with Jackson Hole, which has always been seen Mm. as a time to sort of you know, change pace if, mm. if a pace change is, is needed. Um, and that's actually what Paul McCauley has said in the past that he believes at Jackson Hole, that's that's where the Fed's going to start laying the groundwork for a rate cut. 
Do you think that a rate cut or laying the groundwork for thinking about a cut is completely off the table? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think they, I think the Fed uh, has latitude in each direction verbally, um, but but certainly what they did today, we all expected yeah. this this hawkish pause. And I, I just I, I don't think, especially when you know the quotes are risks of inflation are the upside. Um, you know, we still haven't seen the full effect of of our tightening. I mean, these are these are at least dynamics that say we're we're on the switch. We may be concerned about overdoing it. I, you know, another stat that just came out over the last couple of days, especially as student loans take hold. You think about where the, the consumer credit is. You know, 60 to 80 billion now needs to be paid back. Uh, debt co- debt service coverage ratios are at their highest in 17 years, and, and that's something that you know we talk about how great the consumer is because they have a job. That's the part of this that no one's even, we're factoring in banks, we're factoring in commercial real estate, we're factoring in some of the corporate stuff. So, you know, I, you know, I, I can't look past that either. Real quickly, uh, you know, on the rate cut, if they signal it, it's because the neutral rate, right, that they speak to all the time. If inflation comes down faster than expected, then you should expect a rate cut. And, and, and again, the stock market has not been bothered about 5% Fed funds because of where inflation is right now. And so to me, that could actually be a bit of a misnomer, especially when you think about where valuations are right now relative to expected growth. We still have GDP growth that's well below the pre-pandemic average of about 2.2% over the prior 10 years. So to me, a rate cut does not mean get back all in. You have to really factor. We spend so much time talking the about this two-tight inversion. The ultimate lag indicator to to your point yeah. sort of right right around the bend they're always too late too late to act too late to stop acting as government which is why they should have raised 25 today and signaled that they yeah, might just be done it. and Jackson Hole would have been the opportunity to then really redefine what the inflation picture maybe it actually gives them the opportunity to say 2% was a pre-pandemic thing the economy is just different from here on out going forward so Coming up, an earnings alert on Lennar. Shares of the home builder on the move after reporting results. The details from the quarter. Next, plus a big swoosh for Nike and a bullseye for Target. Finally, two beaten down stocks getting a boost. But one of our traders says not so fast on one of these names why he doesn't believe the bounce. That's straight ahead. Fast Money's back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lennar, the home builder moving higher after a top and bottom line beat. Diana Olick's got the details. Hi, Diana. 
Hey, Melissa. Yeah, it was a strong beat. Lenar's came, Lenar came, stock came close to a record high yesterday as the builders have been benefiting from the shortage of existing homes. And Lenar chairman Stuart Miller said as much in the release. He said as consumers have come to accept a new normal range for interest rates, demand has accelerated, leaving the market to reconcile the chronic supply shortage derived from over a decade of production deficits. Now, Lenar's average sales price per home delivered was 449000 in Q2, down from 500000 at the peak last year. But deliveries and new orders were up slightly, and the company's home delivery forecast for Q3 and full year is above estimates. This was an interesting spring quarter, of course, for the market as mortgage rates were a little nuts. The average on the 30-year fix started March above 7%, fell back to close to 6 and then went back over 7 again. And, of course, we're going to talk about all of this with Stuart Miller tomorrow morning in the 10 a.m. hour on Squawk on the Street. Melissa? Diana, are these home builders offering any sort of incentives or offsets to, to combat the rise in mortgage prices to make this a little bit more attractive for consumers? Are we seeing You know, that? They, they definitely had been. In fact, their big thing was doing mortgage rate buy-downs last fall and into the winter. But interestingly, when we saw the last builder sentiment report out, when sentiment went up, they said, well, we don't actually have to do quite as many because there's so much demand out there, so little supply on the existing home side that they're still seeing people coming in the door to buy. So they were doing these incentives. They're still doing some but not nearly as much as they had to last fall. Wow. Diana, thanks. Diana Olick. People are still buying houses. No problem there, Steve. And that's the important part that you just asked, the mortgage buy-down. So that's the difference between existing home sales and new home sales, that the actual builder can do something to help you out. Because as Tom said, no one wants to give, everyone wants to brag about that they bought the low in the mortgage, right? So every, everyone, remember, remember those days you sit around and... Yeah. 2.7%. Yeah. I, bought, I bought the low. I have an interest only. I have a 3%, whatever it is. It doubled. Now you're getting the help from the, uh, from the builders. But I will tell you that KBH. By the way, I'd rather be bragging about my golf score. Is that what you and your buddies did? Well, we you start about there, your mortgages? We start there and then go, then go to golf. I didn't say it was a very interesting <laughs> group of friends that I was talking about this with. But, but if you look at KBH, all of them are on fire. KBH probably has, uh, I'm sorry, Pulte has probably one of the better charts in this. And if you, yeah, I see it up. I think this might be at an historic high as well. So I don't know how much longer this lasts, but people still have cash. People still have jobs. People are still going to buy homes. Yeah. Well, Lenore's cheaper now. I mean, significantly. Look at, I mean, look at the magnitude of the EPS beat and the revenue beat. It's, it's remarkable, really, what's going on. And their margins are improving as well. So there's a lot to still like here. Lenore's actually been a laggard when compared mm-hmm. to, like, a Pulte Homes. Pulte Homes has been on fire. Lenar, I think, at 118 is an all-time high. DHI is right around there. Toll Brothers right around there. I mean, these stocks are going to continue to grind higher regardless of what's going on in the underlying interest rate. And I, and I would listen to Guy because he's been talking about him for a long time as they've moved higher. Now, one of the few classes I went to and enjoyed in college was 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 microeconomics, mm. right? So um, what we don't understand, we do understand Small this. Class. The, the difference between the macro and the microeconomics. The microeconomics uh, in the home in the housing sector and the home builder sector are amazing. First of all, some of the construction cycle dynamics are normalizing. You have inventory, you know, 2.6 months of inventory left. You have a lot of different dynamics in terms of uh, you know where it, the existing inventory is old and in need of refurbishment and these home builders especially people like, like dr horton are, are going to the first-time buyers who are the ones most in need so some of this microeconomic doesn't really change even though the macro around rates and whatnot is probably not their friend all right there's a lot more fast money to come here's what's coming up next lace up for this next trade we're running into nike's big jump but one of our traders is just not doing it. 
why he's shorting the stock next. Plus, health insurance ailing big time today as a surgery catch-up sends the group to the ER. Should you expect a speedy recovery or is there more pain ahead? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. A double dose of retailers topping the tape. Let's start off with Nike. Shares surging 5.5% for the stock's best day since December. It is now more than 7% off its June low. Target also on the move, jumping 3.5% for its best day since November. It's up over 6% since hitting a 52-week low just two days ago. So are there more good times ahead for these retail laggards? Let's start with Target, Guy. What do you think? Target, maybe you'll get a little more of a bounce. I mean, you're talking about potential people coming in and all those different things, and that's why you're probably getting short covering. But the Target problems are still significant, I think. So I'd probably be inclined to fade this move. Nike's going to be interesting. I'm curious what Tim has to say. You mentioned the best day since December. Well, ironically, it was December that it traded down to 103 and bounced. Right. Look at the recent low. So this is bouncing off a very technical level into earnings at the end of the month that I don't think are going to be particularly good. Before we get to Nike, though, t- Tim's Nike. My, my Nike. My Nike. Um, for Target, though, the problems are real. Is it just is it inventory? Is it the mix? Is it also the boycott? Yeah, oh, yes. Okay. I, but I think the boycott, not nearly as much as the other two. Right. There were structural problems in Target long before anybody started talking about boycotts. Yeah, Tim. So Nike, to me, is a company that I think is one of the best companies, one of the most um, resilient consumer discretionary names out there. But I, I just don't think it should be trading you know, near 30 times. And so I have a, a short that gives me some comfort in some other stuff. It's partially short exposure, partially directional. Um, it's a long way of saying I just don't think Nike's going to get away from me in the upside. I think today's move is a combination of I think people are looking for underperformers in a market that's rallying, especially where a lot of beaten up retailers. Uh, Nike kind of fits that. Um, Citibank actually downgraded the stock from 120 to 109, you get some people that actually start to buy on those kinds of uh, greater clarity. I think wholesale is still a problem for them, even though we talk about Nike's DTC. And, and again, around one, around 100, which is where I think the stock can go, probably take that off. I'm going to self, would you rather? Oh. Did anyone see that coming? Uh, uh, Did anyone here. not see that coming? Melissa certainly I'm did. going to say Walmart. Right? And, and I'm interested in what guy okay. thinks Not even the stocks we're talking about. I know, I know. Bring something out of left field. <laughs> well, I, instead of Target, okay. I'm going to go with Walmart. How about Exxon? <laughs> I would fade Exxon. And then on the other side of it, if you look at, by the way, Skechers, does anyone even know this is a publicly traded company? You guys ever trade Skechers? Ne- never, never traded. The, the chart looks unbelievable. I take Skechers over Nike. As a would you rather, rather without rather even, and a fade, and then he brought back in Walmart, and a trade. Walmart, the Skechers, and I fade Exxon. Don't forget about that. I fade Exxon Mobil. They have those shoes that have you can just yeah zero just interest. Put in I've and then the back goes up by slide itself. right in. When I'm 90, I'll think about it. I mean, if you're, <laughs> like if you're my age and wearing those, you're living life the wrong way, people. <laughs> 
Skechers, don't hope, do it. I hope Skechers is listening and will send Guy a pair. Yeah, now you need uh, a pair. Still ahead on fast procedures piling up. Seniors catching up on surgeries delayed by the pandemic. And insurance stocks are going under the knife on the news. More on that next. Plus, nothing is stopping NVIDIA. The semi-stock nearly tripling this year. And the option pits are betting this chip rip continues how they are playing it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big swings for stocks today after the Federal Reserve paused its rate hiking campaign. The Dow down 230 points. The majority of that drop because of UNH. More on that in just a moment. Uh, the S&P nearly flat but managing to close in the green for the fifth day in a row. That is its longest streak since November 2021. And the Nasdaq up around four-tenths of a percent. Apple, meantime, closing at a record. Shares hitting an all-time high back to its IPO in 1980. The tech titan's been on a tear this year, up 42 percent. Dan, what are your thoughts on this run? Which one, on Apple? Yeah. Um, well, Steve, you and I had this conversation. I thought it was like one up, two down sort of scenario. I think the stock was like 173. You were eyeing that kind of 184 level. Um, you know, I, I just don't think the risk reward is great. I, I, I think we can talk about it more favorably. I love the fact that they spent two hours at Cupertino at this um, WWDC, this product launch event, and they didn't mention the term AI. My friend Debo, you know, dear Drabosa, yeah, tech check, she mentioned this to me the other day, and I thought it was awesome. She's like, that was like the ultimate flex. As the rest of the tech industry like, is AI, going AI, crazy, AI. they didn't mention it once. And they just talked about this product that they knew no one's going to buy, actually, in the next year or so. Right. So to me, I, I think about all the platforms um, that they have to leverage, given their installed base over the next few years. Great. I'm, I'm not a buyer here. Yeah. Um, let's get to United uh, in its brutal day today. The insurer warning of rising costs, the seniors decided it's time for them to get those surgeries that they had put off during the pandemic. The comments also crushing other heavily Medicare-dependent insurers like Humana, Centene, Molina, and Elevance. Meanwhile, medical device makers and hospitals, a striker and tender, for instance, popping higher. Our next guest says the pain is actually a rare buying opportunity. Let's bring in Cantor Fitzgerald, Sarah James. Sarah, great to have you with us. Um, you know, they they basically said the medical loss ratio, MLR, will come in higher than what they had been forecasting, but they kept the EPS guide the same. So how should investors interpret this? Yeah. You know, United's a company with a lot of different levers. They're crushing it at vertical integration and through their Optum segment, they've been driving consistent earnings speeds. So I think that you look at this as maybe going to the high end of MLR is 6% EPS pressure, but they've got a lot of other levers with overhead with Optum to beat it. And it's almost like you have to look at what they're not saying, not just what they are. So they're not moving EPS guide, they're moving MLR guide. And I think that's really telling about the confidence they have in the rest of the business. So this is just sort of a fleeting thing for this quarter, for the next quarter? That depends, because there's a question of pent-up demand. You know, during the pandemic, the first year, there was about 5 to 10% less procedures than normal. Second year, 2 to 5. So where did all of that go? Did people go to PT? Did they decide, you know, surgery is not for me? Or are they coming back into the market now? And I think that's where the big debate is, is are they coming back and to what degree and when? Um, and it's interesting because you see their peers out there, Humana and Elevans, recently reiterating guidance, um, saying that they're not seeing uh, the same level of utilization pressure or cost pressure. Um, so it certainly is a debate. Sarah, in the fall of 2019, UNH traded down to like an 11 and a half, 12 forward multiple. We talked about it being ridiculously cheap. Currently, it's about 15. I think it's cheap here, but does it have further room to the downside 
Or is this level, I think it's 455 or so, is this an opportunity? Yeah, you don't often get a high quality company like this trading at a discount in the bargain bin, um, especially for something that can be transitory like medical costs. Um, but you also have to realize we're going into an election cycle. Typically in election years, multiples will compress um, a turn or two uh, about a year and a half ahead of the election. So we have to be cognizant of any sector rotation risk. But really, this is a company who's growing um, low to mid-teens EPS, great management team, strong balance sheet, trading at a significant discount today. So it looks like a great opportunity to us. So based on what uh, UNH CFO said, Sarah, the device makers went higher because they're still trying to figure out if people have actually um, said no to surgery for good or they're actually going to do the surgery at this point. Are the gains that we saw today in the device makers, are those sustainable in your view or is there still some uncertainty here? There's still some uncertainty of how many people are actually going to go through with the surgeries that put them off. Um, we have pretty consistent commentary from surgery centers throughout the pandemic that there was no pent up demand, that people were rebooking within the same quarter. And this is a new and conflicting data point. So when I think about who could win here, I think about companies that have more of an underlying trend, like the shift from inpatient to outpatient because you save 25 percent. And that's someone like a surgery partners or a tenant. Uh, especially tenant because they set guidance expectations for the second quarter so well. Uh, so those are great ways to play this sort of trend. Sarah, thank you. Good to see you, Sarah James. Um, where do you stand in the insurers? I'm, I'm long United, and we were just talking on the commercial break, as you people know, we do talk, and we were talking about the perfect album, and our executive producer, Sandy Cannell, brought up U2's Joshua Tree. I would, I would go GNR, Appetite for no, Destruction. No, I wouldn't. What do you got? My perfect album is Boston's first album, of course, Street Survivors from Leonard Skinner. Okay, so the reason I'm talking about this is because I think UNH has been the perfect stock. And if you think about uh, some of the complacency around Medicare Advantage and that everybody thought this was going to be a one-way ticket, this is a stock that has continued to grow and grow aggressively. And through Optimus, she pointed out, they probably have double-digit EPS going forward. You're buying weakness. This has been uh, the stock to, to, to weather every different kind of market. It has been the perfect stock. I stay long. The political pressure, though, aspect is very interesting, particularly in a year where the Biden administration has made, um, you know, they've definitely gone after drug prices for one and the rising cost of health care. So here they are sitting squarely in the center of this whole thing. Yeah, I agree. And UNH looks like a great stock. I've been sucked in and I've spit it back out. Every time you feel like it's going to rally and get its sea legs, you want you wind up. Uh, <laughs> You wind up basically having Such to sell the stock at a slush. I would, I would rather, I would rather go to the medical device companies, and Stryker would be the way I would go. Stryker usually outperforms Medtronic, and I probably think that going forward, that's uh, Stryker, still. Stryker, Stryker. Can we can, before we have a crack staff back in EC? Can you sure put did. up that lower third they had in need of? Who wrote it's very that? Very good, right? Can we see in that one more? It's it's. it's to, uh, Natalie, there it is. Oh, in need of lower third. You see him? Yeah. No, it's yeah. TV jargon. Oh, guys falling a lot of TV oh, jargon well, tonight. Lower third. Coming up, the NVIDIA rally keeps on rolling. The stock jumping another 5% today, but one options trader says the recent moves are based on FOMO. That trade ahead. And throughout June, CNBC is celebrating Pride Month. Here's the CEO of Barry's Bootcamp. I grew up gay and Latino in a very homogenous part of the United States. And I was definitely uh, made fun of, left out. But what that did to me was it really fueled the fire from within uh, and inspired me to want to grow up into an adult that 
built a community and a culture of inclusiveness at Barry's. Uh, and I feel like that's living proof, A, that adversity can fuel greatness, and B, that it's our will and our spirit that dictates how we handle the deck that we're now. Welcome back to Fast Money. NVIDIA shares jumping to another record high. The semi-company adding to the trillion-dollar valuation to close out just yesterday. NVIDIA shares have nearly tripled year-to-date, are up 50% in just the past month. Option traders are betting this juggernaut isn't slowing down anytime soon. Amber Group co-CIO Chris Sidiel has got the action. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Good. What yeah, you see so- in NVIDIA? Uh, I'm seeing a lot, right? So uh, it feels like this recent AI boom has really sparked this new stage of investors flocking to risk assets, right? And NVIDIA has become the new momentum toy for traders, right? So from a call side activity, people are just piling in and buying NVIDIA calls. And I think it's reflected in the SKU profile, specifically the short dated SKU profile. I think the uh, other thing is that when you look at the notes on NVIDIA, you look at the open interest and most of the open interest is on NVIDIA July 500 calls, which really shows that investors are seeking this type of convexity, right? It feels somewhat similar to 2021 where people are hoarding into these trades in a sense of FOMO because maybe they don't want to miss the next AI boom. Um, but like, for example, today, you know, you look at uh, the volume and you saw a lot of volume in the June 16, 420 calls where NVIDIA just blew right through that. And then the second highest was the June 430 calls, which it just blew right through that. Right. So I think what you're seeing is a lot of momentum hoarding and uh, followed by some gamma squeezing. When some people are just hoarding into the derivatives, you tend to get these sort of little gamma squeeze pops that follow along as well. Yeah. Dan, yesterday you said we had this whole conversation with Caleb Silver from Investopedia about what you would do with $10,000. Yeah, it went, it went to zero in a day. No, <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I, you know, I think Guy mentioned this this morning. It got back about $1 trillion in market cap. Off its lows, it gained $60 billion in market cap. They're going to do $42 billion in sales this year. Let's just say they blow it out. That's 50. That's just a, not a natural sort of thing. But I think the way Chris is laying it out is really interesting is that you're seeing this hoarding towards the thing that is working. And he talked about a term skew that we don't use a lot. Usually you see um, puts more expensive as people reach for protection. In a name like this, you're seeing calls more expensive than puts. There's more demand for upside than there is for downside. And that just tells you that things are getting a little out of whack. So if you had $10,000 today, Dan, would you put it into I, I probably, I probably did it again today. Good, <laughs> they call it good money after bad. Chris, thanks. Chris Sidiel. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, is China working on a charm offensive? Officials are pulling out all the stops to prevent a massive economic slowdown. We're bringing the details next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Hours ago, Bill Gates tweeting that he is in Beijing for the first time since 2019. And on Friday, he is going to meet with President with China's President Xi Jinping. This comes ahead of Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit to the country this weekend and amid reports that senior Chinese officials are convening urgent meetings on the economy with business leaders. So all this helps for the nation's economy. Tim, it sounds like they're getting more serious about this. 
China has always had a separate kind of part of their policy, which was about integrating with the West, becoming a national financial center, doing everything to make their markets and their companies investable. And I think they still want this. And, and you know, Bill Gates can, can play an interesting card here because on some level he's wildly respected in that part of the world. And I think this is a guy um, isn't going to necessarily change what's going on in D.C. to Beijing. But I think this is an exciting time looking at emerging markets, looking at, you know, uh, Baba O'Reilly. You know, you've got a, a stock that's actually breaking. Out. We talk about a series of trades in Alibaba. Um, you've got a, a dynamic here with emerging markets where the dollar doesn't need to go higher. Uh, it doesn't need to go a lot lower. It just doesn't need to go higher. I think that's what we have for a while, especially with the Fed and central bank differentials. I think these are trades right now that you stay in. We have always said that China can do what it wants with mm-hmm. its economy because it has ultimate control. And so if China is getting serious and is willing to make it more hospitable to foreign investment and, and prop up the property market, why can't it accomplish that? It should theoretically be able to do that. Until, until the next round of headlines come out. But in, we're in this window now where, to Tim's point, I think you can start owning these stocks again. When Baba traded down to 78 a couple weeks ago, that was, again, one of these series of lower lows, lower highs. But now it's back on its source. So I think the stock probably has, if you look at a chart, given what's going on, it probably has room maybe to 98 to 100 bucks, and then you sell it again. Yeah, uh, Baidu has outperformed Alibaba. Alibaba is probably the one that is uh, could be a coiled spring here. But to Guy's point, every time they turn the spigot on, they could turn it right back off. But I think for this week, in a, in a in a prison in a uh, in a microcosm, you can trade it for a political event because I think things are probably smoothing out around the edges. Very very short term trade. I mean, if we are going to believe that there's a better recovery in China, should we be looking then at some of the other emerging markets like a Brazil, the the suppliers of the natural resources, for instance? I do. I, I also think, by the way, this is very good for Germany. Uh, but there's no question that if you're investing internationally, the growth engine that was EM sometimes it's not all about you know China. China's 43% of the index, though, so you have to be really careful if you're owning EEM. That's what you got. Up next, final trades. about the perfect album conversation. Final trade time, Tim. Yeah, the perfect albums. They're flowing in on Twitter. The perfect stock, United Healthcare. Why not? Steve? Same theme, medical device, Striker. Dan Nathan. Pearl Jam's 10. The perfect yeah, album. Nice job by you. Excellent. Got I don't know about perfect albums. I'll say this. Okay. Wait for it. You, Melissa Lee, are a perfect host. Wow. Oh. Nice. See so what I did there? Oh, Brown nose. No. What, what about a shout out for BK <laughs> Led? Fast BK. Fast Money Legend. Kelly. NASDAQ. The sell off is ridiculous. So people don't understand this deal. What? Happy birthday, Brian Kelly. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. 
with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.